Let's rock. episode 14 and we have a special guest that we're going to introduce in a minute but as customary we usually catch up with what we have going on so dina and gerard you want to jump in i have a quick story but that's got <laughs> um so right now i'm just wrapping up the year i'm closing out i'm actually moving grade levels and moving classrooms so that's been like what's gotten most of my focus today so I am uh, moving back to uh, what I consider to be my home, which is high school. Um, so still at the same school, just moving up to uh, ninth grade. And I think I've got one section in 10th grade next year. And I'm excited about the move. Here, like Dean, I'm wrapping up. We have our fifth grade flyaway tomorrow, which is basically um, fifth grade parents and the students riding around the complex or our little campus. They have certain stations where they'll stop, get their um, certificates and keep it moving. And then Thursday, we um, have families coming in to get kids belongings and wrapping up the year and um. <laughs> it it freed me up a little bit to get back on some of the things I need to get done on a more normal summer schedule. Yes, <laughs> you know that summer schedule, that admin summer schedule is <laughs> something that we need to get back to because um, I spent a bunch of time in the building today, and I'll tell you what, I had a great conversation with some people that I don't usually talk to, and I think for me, um, that was my professional game this week. I talked to I have a new head custodian. I talked to him. A bit and um, just kind of got on the same page, and it was good to kind of establish relationships again with people. And I haven't talked face to face with people in a while. It just felt good mm. as a human. But all right, all that being said, we have a special guest tonight. Um, this is Dr. Natoya. He is from California, West Coast. Um, he is an educator, educator, entrepreneur, a father, a husband, a son. And he definitely has the mostest. So I know Tatul, um, we did a little pregame conversation, but do you want to jump in here and tell us all about you and where you come from and what you're all about? Yeah. Welcome, everyone. And thank you so much for having me on the on the podcast. Uh, my name is Dr. Tatul Toya, and I'm from uh, Los Angeles, California. You know, grew up in the city. My parents are immigrants. They moved here um, from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, back then known as Zaire. Uh, if you remember the uh, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, Ali Foreman, Rumble, Rumble in the Jungle was in Zaire. Oh so, yeah, it was, it was it was Zaire back then, and they came over, and we were we lived in L.A., like the heart of L.A. for a while. Parents didn't like the fact that we were in a the neighborhood that we were in, and back in the you know mid '80s, there was lots of gang violence, and you think of the crack epidemic, how the crack epidemic really impacted black neighborhoods all over the country. Same in LA. So they moved us out to the Valley where I grew up and, you know, going from a neighborhood that was hundred percent black to a neighborhood that was, 
you know, almost, you know, majority. Uh, it was, I, th- I think most, most of my parents, my, my friends I grew up with, uh, when we moved out to the Valley were, you know, came from, from Mexico. So Mexican American immigrants. Before uh, you jump into that though, you said something earlier about how you felt in that all black classroom. Like you said it felt natural to you or something like along those lines. Well, I, you know, you, you grew up around everyone that looked like you and, you know, it was all of my friends were black and we would do, you know, things and we, I, I felt more connected. I remember because I was, I was in second grade when we moved out to the Valley, but I remember having friends who I was really connected with and, you know, and all that. And you move out to the Valley, Think it wasn't, yeah, the connection wasn't, wasn't as strong and, you know, things were happening around and there was some racial tensions that I never realized before, you know, being called the N word, you know, by, by your, by, by people, your classmates. Um, this, this guy who I thought was a really good friend of mine, I remember he used to use the N word a lot and he was, he used to say I was a different type of black guy. He was a white guy. He was a white guy. What? Yes. yes. He was a white guy. And he used to use the N word and he said, Oh, you're different though. You're different. You're not like the mother ones. And so, but I was like second grade, third grade. Who? Wow. Yeah. Did you report it, or did the teacher say anything, or was there any I sort of admin? Like I didn't know. It was like in the play. You know, you, you go to the house for the weekend, and you know, you know, conversation. In the house. Yeah, at the house. And, you know, we play in the yard, and you know, stuff like that. And he was he. We we, we were friends. We were in class together, and we would uh-huh. you know do stuff and. He was his house was close to my house, so we would my my mom would let me go out and play with him, and he'd come over and we play sometimes. And N word was used, you know, freely. So that that was it. It was very interesting. But I mean, did you tell your parents? Not really. No. I mean, you're so young, right? You're like nine. Yeah. yeah, my brother dealt with it too, and you know, we didn't really talk to our parents about it. I think if we did, did you talk to your brothers and sisters about it or no? Not really. This is, you know, me and my brother pretty much growing up. My sister's a lot younger than we are. So my brother and I would go through it. And and, I mean, he would say how he was frustrated by what was happening. But I mean, I didn't have any language to deal with it. Uh, And I was in LA, right? LA, progressive, whatever you think of LA. That's interesting. Yeah. So you, you, you talked about us in the pregame about a show about, or not a show, a, a, a conference you went to with uh, Louis Farrakhan when you were 13 or 14. Yeah. So, so, so because that's a pretty powerful story. Yeah. So my brother was, um, he hooked up with this guy. His name is Brother John. Never, never, never going to forget Brother John. And he's like, hey, I got these tickets to go to the sports arena. You want to come with me? And I was like, sure. And it was, you know, it was Farrakhan. He was putting on this big thing at the you know, sports arena. So I went. And when we showed up and got out of the car and we're walking from the parking lot into the um, into the, the sports arena, it was nothing but black people. Black, you know, men, women, you know, girls my age, boys my age. Everybody was black. And I just felt so, like, connected with that. And, you know, the stuff that they were saying on the stage, I was just – you know, kind of connected with, with a lot of it because I was living it. I was going through it. I was like, but you're like 13 or 14 years old, right? Yeah. But I was connected. Like, all, it was, you know, you know, those movies when things happen and things just kind of flash back and everything's a blurry, like, Oh, it all makes sense now. It all like yeah. connected when he was, when they were up there talking and, and you know, I, I, it really spoke to me and my experiences at the moment. Interesting. Don't fight me. 
Yeah. Very interesting. All right, Tatul. We feel like we know who you are. Is there anything else that you you please share with us really quickly though too about what is your educational experience? Like what have you done in education? Yeah, so I graduated college in like 2000, came back home and my my education journey was 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 long and drawn out, but I came back home in 2000 and my brother talked me into uh, going into education. I fought it. I was thinking about doing some other things. Excuse my my soundtrack in the background. I was doing some other things, wanted to do some other things. And I put in an application to teach at Pomona Unified School District and they accepted me. So, you know, I taught middle school for three years and I wanted to coach and teach high school at the same time. So I moved to high school and much of my teaching career was at a high school, Uh, taught science, taught biology, taught chemistry, taught physics, Uh, went from a middle-class white neighborhood to the inner city, to uh, all black school, which was an amazing, amazing teaching experience. And I still connect with those students till till this day. And um, yeah, so did that. Then I became Dean of Students. So I was Dean of Students for- At that same all black school? No, then I had to go to another school to become Dean of Students, got laid off, Took a, you know, I had to do some soul searching, went to grad school, got my doctoral degree, and now I'm consulting. Nice. All right. Sweet. Yeah. So I think that's a good uh, segue into what is educational entrepreneurship. And I think that's kind of where you're thinking in your thought process is now is how can you develop something to support, I'm assuming, kids of color in this, uh, primarily black students and um, I know you and Gerard have had some conversations about this, so I'm waiting for him to chime in on your your uh, investing. But we'll talk about that maybe as we talk about what your ideas around educational entrepreneurship. What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about this whole idea of you know how to be economically self sufficient, how to think about money in a new way, you know, mm-hmm. because I think. Black folks really get cut out when it comes to building wealth, when it comes to financial independence, right? Like, like I think people in general have uh, a hard relationship with money and building wealth, but I think Black folks have an even harder conversation with that because, you know, we've never had opportunities to generate wealth. Either it's, you know, through employment, through owning property, starting businesses, access to capital, all that stuff has really, we, we have really been, um, we have really been let out of, we haven't been into, uh, we haven't, the, the door hasn't been open for us in terms of those opportunities. So right. it's really important to me now that I'm kind of getting my feet wet with this and seeing how the wool's been over my eyes all this time. And now it's time to like give other people this type of knowledge so they can also, you know, have a leg up. So in the pregame, you and Gerard were talking back and forth and Gerard chime in now. What are your thoughts around that? Like, what can we build on from what Tatul just said? Um, for a, cu- a couple different things, um, as far as us adult, us uh, adults, uh, black educators, black parents, um, a lot of us came from, um, you know, family backgrounds that really didn't teach this. It kind of was that mentality of, um, you know, you, you get a, you get a good paying job, you stay there until retirement. Um, and 
one of them things of like really don't worry about trying to be like an entrepreneur or a businessman because like no matter what money you make, you can't take it with you. Um, just different mentalities that and that equity piece, we are our kids really weren't um, us as kids. Uh, we really weren't privy to that. And just to, you know, add on a little bit of what the tool was saying about that entrepreneurship piece. I'm just thinking about when I grew up, if I'm 14, when I'm 14, 15 and I'm getting summer jobs at like Arby's and McDonald's. And then when you go back to school, um, some of your white friends, their summer jobs was working at their grandparents' business. And we're like 14, 15. And we're not even thinking that. But the white all white friends know that within the next 10, 15 years, either that grandfather is going to be giving the business to the son, which they know they know by the time they're in their 30s and 40s, they got a business that all they got to do is just walk in that path and keep doing what was done. And that wealth is just going to keep generating where uh, us black families, we didn't have those opportunities. Yeah, and that's powerful. That's really powerful. And I think that maybe is your motivation tool for like what you're thinking about or. Yeah. And you know, not, not everyone's going to be a business owner. Not everyone's going to be a fortune 500 owner, whatever the case may be, or billionaire, but you know, there has to be an opportunity to generate wealth and there has to be opportunity to, um, to pass down that knowledge to your kids, you know? So when they come in on some money, And they start to work and they start to make their own living and, you know, they can think about how they're going to generate their own wealth and how to pass down all the things that we are learning and all the the money that we're getting. How how do we pass down what we have to our kids? And, you know, and and I I just thought about something. I just thought about something that we didn't even talk much about, but think about like um, athletes and we talk a lot about athletes and how they squander their money. Well, if you've never been taught about money and you've never been taught about what to do with your money, now you have a lump sum sum of money. So what do you do? You just do what you know, what you know. So you spend it all. Mm -hmm. And so our society doesn't sit back and say, wow, we need to do a better job at teaching our young men, young women of color about money, about coming into money and what to do when you have the money. So when you get the money, you know what to do with it. You're responsible and you can like grow it. And you know how systemically racist this whole thing is? As soon as that black person talks about wasting money, the white person jumps on and sees and says to themselves, look at what they're doing. Like the media is like, look at how they wasted their money. But go ahead, John. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. Another thing, too, what, what the tool was saying, a, a white athlete gets to the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball it's a whole different mentality. That black athlete from the hood gets there as soon as he signs on the dotted lines about, let's say, let's say that contract is three million. We'll just thought of a low number already. It's anywhere from a half a mil to a million is already spoken for because in his mind it's people that helped me get here. That's still broke that I'm about to look out for. Yeah, that's, but the other- and that's actually what I was going to what I was going to mm-hmm. come up with next as well, Gerard, is that mm-hmm. I've heard so many stories about, you know, you when when you start to get to a place where you are, um, you know, financially successful, because everybody defines success differently. Um, you know, it's all of a sudden you have you have people who you've never even talked to in 10 years 
that mm-hmm. all of a sudden are like, oh, well, you know, I need help with this or I want you to invest in this thing. And, you know, and you, you feel compelled to help out those people because they are at that point way less fortunate than you are. And I've heard so many stories about something similar to that happening because so, so you, ask, you don't want to, you don't want to say no to somebody because you're afraid of hurting them. Let me ask a super white question, right? This is a super white question to tool and Gerard. Maybe it's more to you two than Dina, but I've never had anyone ask me for money other than like, I mean, just to donate for something like, united way or something like that right i donate money for that sort of thing but (laughs) you two have come under some sort of money right have you had people ask you for money and and that to me that's a white person like i've always thought about that question i never asked anyone and i don't know why we couldn't ask it right now but i'm curious (laughs) to tool do you want to go or you want me to go (laughs) well i think it, it has to do with the fact that you know historically you know black folks don't have a lot of people who make a lot of money. You might have like that right. one person right. in your family who's like, you know, he he's 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 not even that rich, but he's he makes so much more money than the rest of us. We're like, yo, I need like a couple hundred dollars. Can you, you know, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. And so that that becomes what happens, but because we don't have access to um to generating this type of wealth, that it's always one person who breaks out, who's lucky to break out to break through the racism and the the, the the holding down and all that that mm. he makes it or she makes it and that becomes like the crown jewel of your family now you have all these people behind you who you know who are looking to you to support them and then you feel guilty you know and that's, there's, there's a name for it you feel guilty and you want to support them and you have to support them and so there's a whole different set of responsibilities you have as a person of color coming yeah, to money than a white person does go ahead Gerard. Oh, and I'm gonna piggyback off that. Um, and, I, and I'm gonna use the athletes for example, um, to tool and correct me if I'm wrong because you probably have seen this more not. If you're a a real good athlete and you're inner city LA, bad neighborhoods, and you've been from middle school to high school, there are certain two or three brothers that literally were the reason that stopped people from beating you up on a daily basis, and you make it to the league and. Those those couple brothers that actually made sure that you was always safe get locked up and they're coming out of jail. There's like an obligation factor of like, man, like what I even had a degree and got a D1 scholarship if I didn't get if I got caught up. But right. those two or three brothers from the streets made sure I was good. So now I, I feel obligated like, man, they just got out of jail. Like, I really want to look out for them like they looked out for me. Boom. And... <laughs> The lack of financial literacy really, you know, forces. So, so now the lack of financial literacy yeah, allows mm-hmm. all of these, you know, white agents, coaches, whatever, to come into the city and take advantage of that and say, hey, this is your opportunity to maybe make a million dollars. And you take it and all these people are exploiting you along the way and you have no idea. So once you get there, you get this money, like Gerard was saying, now I'm up, I have up, all these obligations I got to pay out. I'm broke. Mm-hmm. No wonder you go broke. It's a, so, it's an interesting thing too. And I'm sorry, I just cut you off to tool. No, um, no go ahead. A, it's an interesting thing too, because I hear similar stories about people who get into the music industry. You know, it's like they, they don't understand that when you, they don't understand how the contract works. They don't understand the percentages that 
are owed to the record company for recording the album. And then, you know, you go on tour and you owe money for that. And, you know, it just, there have been so many people who've gotten into the music industry where it was like, they didn't realize that they weren't really going to make anything off that first tour. Right. You know, like it just, you, you know, you get in and that's, you know, they, they find a bad deal and that's kind of how, how they end up broke. Right. So, so let's bring it back to a more personal level, right? So we're talking about athletes and, and music deals and, and that's all well and done, but that's 0.05% of the population, right? So I told you guys a story in pregame about how my mom told me from day one, anytime she could listen or I would listen to her, which was sometimes and very, very rarely, but anyway, <laughs> you save 10% of everything that you earn whether it be a check in the mail from a birthday, like a $5 check, so you save 50 cents. I mean, you just save 10%, always save 10%. That was ingrained in my head from the very beginning. And even to this day, I save 10%, right? If I don't save 10%, it's because, I mean, I had to buy a new washer and dryer and or an air conditioner. Like I just needed an extra little bit of cash. But so what are things to tool? I know that you're talking about educational entrepreneurship, and you also are trying to create an idea around how do we teach kids of color in the marginalized communities about this idea. But is there something that you think that you want to really push, like a vision or an idea around that idea? Yeah, I've been thinking about this for the past like year or two. And how do you how do you teach financial literacy to students? And and more specifically, if you can just start with like stock investing, right? We can just talk about stock investing because if you if you're going to be a, a a long-term stock investor, there are things that you have to look at. You have to look at fundamentals. You have to look at debt. You, and but all those things allows you to look at how these big multinational billion-dollar companies deal with debt, how they deal with cash flow, what do they do with their money? And if you could think about what they do with money, how they borrow, then I think that helps you think about your own pockets your own financial literacy, your own future, and allows you to think about things differently. So if, you, if you're saying to yourself, oh, Microsoft or Apple, whatever, is doing this with their free cash, right. oh, okay, what am I doing with my free cash? Am I going out and buying Jordans? Am I going to go out and you know take my girlfriend to Benihana's and spend $200? Or am I maybe a little, little bit of cash flow goes to my girlfriend, maybe the rest of it I invest in something? Or I talk to my mom about investing. Oh, the credit card man is coming to give me a high interest loan. How much is that high interest credit card? Oh, it's 15%. That's ridiculous. I can get 3%. That's such a bit, right? So now you're thinking on a different level and it allows you to make better financial decisions and uh, make yourself and, and allow yourself to be able to, to uh, acquire wealth a lot faster. So how would you teach kids this concept? Like how would you teach them what you're saying. I agree with you 100%. I think all of those things need to filter through your head when you're making financial decisions. But how do you make that relevant for children? Um, and I know you and I were in a how do you make rap music relevant for children group for a while. And mm-hmm. we had some pretty decent ideas. But I think this is awesome. I think this is even more important than that idea, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I yeah. know you want to say anything, but how but do you the make one thing, the one thing? The one thing about our kids... No matter what, what neighborhood you're, you're from, what part of the city, they all know about money, especially, especially black kids, especially black kids. They are so good at hustling, how to make mm-hmm. money. 
It's the black kid at your school who's selling the candy, right, and being successful. It's the black kid who bought a pair of J's for, you know, a hustle for a hundred bucks. He's going to sell it to his homeboy for $200, right? It's the Mm -hmm. black kid who is running, like, Master P and them, running their whole organization on the back, you know, back of their truck, right? It's the cash money for a little bit. Own, own rap music, 91 and 94. They and they bankrolled the whole thing, though. They bankrolled their whole operation. Yes, That's they did. Thing. Yeah. So they, kids, cash money kids, was like, black yeah. kids, they understand that on All a right. very basic level. So if you can connect that knowledge to investing in stocks, saving mm-hmm. money, debt, cash flow, you know, sales, earnings, it makes sense to them and that you can be a hustler like these white people who are making all this money they're just glorified hustlers they get that and if you oh, can make that connection oh forget about it forget about Tatoo, it you are 100 percent correct mm-hmm. all right dean you got to add to cash money millionaires or master p back in the day dean what's going on let's, let's, let's talk about it. <laughs> master p and them <laughs> Oh, I, um, I okay. just so first off, I'm just I'm enjoying listening to the conversation, um, and it it just you know, and I I was so undereducated when it came to to finances and money, and this has been an interesting conversation for me to listen to because we, um, you know, I, I I was never taught these things as I was growing up and didn't get any sort of an education around this when I was going through, you know, my K-12 education and my, my trial by fire was, you know, basically get out and fail. And Mm. I had had, I left college like two semesters after I was in and then returned when I was 25. So of course, from the ages of 19 to 25, I got a really good education about what it meant to live paycheck to paycheck and, you know, if I if I was waiting tables and bartending and I didn't get those extra shifts, I didn't have any cash. And so that was that was a really eye opening for me. And it was interesting having conversations with college students when I quick question, Dina. Yeah. So you didn't have any money to fall back on. But worst case scenario, you lost your job. Could you go back? Could you be, still be supported by your family? No, it wasn't okay. an option for me. It was, it's, I was, I was, I had to, I did have to move back in with my parents for a period of time. Um, Mm -hmm. and they, they did provide me a place to live, but there was no financial assistance for my parents at all. Um, and this happened when I was in my, my, I would say, I'm trying to remember how old I was here. So 20, 26 or 27, I moved back in with my parents for about a year and a half. Okay. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't an option for me. Um, but I still had a place to go back to like, that's what, that's where this is different for me because, um, you know, I know people who, where, when you, when you lost a job, your, your, you did family was not an option for you. And so at that point, for some people, it would have been, they would have had to have dropped out of college. You know, they didn't, there was no option. Um, so I, I do consider the fact that I can even return to my parents and say, can I live here with you for a while? I consider that a privilege because I know that there are so many people who don't have that as an option. Yeah, I, I got to agree. 
I got to agree with you. I just know from the community I'm from and most people, black people I know, um, and compared to some of my white friends that can, you know, break ground on a three hundred to five hundred thousand dollar house and move back home for a year to build it, ah, we don't have them luxuries. Yeah, right. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> we don't no, have them. Like I told you guys beforehand, like if I failed, I can I can crawl back into my mom's place in no time. It'd be it'd be all good. Like I had no I had a no failure status. Like there was no failure for me. I, I didn't pay for college. I you know when I've said I'm the most privileged person in this room. 99.9% of the time, unless you're Bill Gates or like, I'm the most privileged person in the room. And I, I don't understand why. And this is my frustration. And I don't want to get off topic of what you're talking about the tool. But my frustration as a white person is if I'm the most privileged person in this room, and I've been willing to do this work for a long time now, like a long time now, and I'm really trying to figure the shit out. And I don't usually cost, but why can't you just do a little bit of something like just meet me like one eighth of the way? Like, just meet me one eighth of the way and I'm going to pull you through. Trust me. Trust me. I'm not going anywhere. Like, just, I'm going to bring you with me because I can talk to white people like, no one can talk to white people because you, and I've said this in this podcast before, you ain't out whitening me. Like, you're not. <laughs> you're trying, you're not. Love it. Love it. I'm telling you right now, like, my superpower is my whiteness. Like, you're not out whitening me. There's no out me at all. Like, there's money coming to me when my parents die and grandparents die. Well, my grandparents are already dead, but I mean, it's there's no way I'm going to be outwhited by anybody. And I don't know why other white people just don't lean on me and be like, Doug, how can we do this? I'm not quite as privileged as you, but I'm still a little bit privileged. And I got this and this and this. And like, let's figure this out. Like, okay. So you Doug, can use that angle. I got no angles. I got no angles. Doug, I, I'm telling you, I, I use you like, it's a couple of teachers um, that I use you and Dina's name all the time that are, you know, that are white um, because there are certain conversations I can have with them. But I throw y'all names out there because. Dude, I, throw my name in my email if you want. I, yeah. I, 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 and I'm saying this on the air. I really don't think white, a lot of white educators realize what they're going to be walking back into in August and September. Yeah. Like this is not going anywhere. Like don't, don't spend your summer at the beach stick and everything going to be happy go lucky because Every little, every little maneuver and comment or newsletter you put out to parents, if they feel it, an inch of a racial undertone in it, they're gonna check you. Like and they don't, re- they don't realize what they don't realize what they're getting into. Like, like all this. I'm, I'm just going on a rant now. I got to go in. Go, go in, go in, Gerard, go in. Uh, all, the, all this white silence that I'm seeing from a lot of educators, like I don't like. You better wake up, like. This ain't going nowhere. Like a lot of y'all are gonna gonna have a rough 2020, 21 school year if you don't get get on the board with the Doug Timms and the Dina Lowe's of the world, because something is you're gonna be you're gonna have a world of problems. Yeah. It's um it you know and it's an interesting this this is the first time that Gerard has really raised his voice when we recorded the podcast. <laughs> I was waiting for that for you. Yeah, Gerard, get it. Yeah. Nah, you, you know you don't use no bad words. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're what now? What fifteen episodes in? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Gerard is on fire tonight. It, I love this. Um, it is, it, there's, there is, I think like, you know, no matter what is happening in the world, there's just this denial, you know, there's this denial that, you know, that 
you know, this, it, you don't need to be the person to discuss this and all lives matter. And, you know, it's, it's that whole, it's that mentality. And, you know, if, if people are not doing this, this dig, it's going to be so difficult to have like this, to have a conversation with a parent in the fall, you know, and, and we've, we've discussed this before where, you know, you really have to like, people think that just, oh, well, let me just post, post, post an all black square. Let me say black lives matter. Let me do this. And it is, um, I had never heard, I had never heard the phrase performative allyship until last week. Wow. What? That was the first time, first time I had heard that. And I went, I went, well, what is that? You know, because I'd, I'd never heard the term before. It's and I was white like, people whitening again. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that's that's basically what it is. And it, so it just, it, it, and I'm in the same kind of vein that you are with this, Doug, where I'm like, it boggles my mind because really in the grand scheme of things, and, I, and I've told this to people for years, I'm like, I don't teach, I, I, I teach the kids that I have in my room because they were put in my room for a reason. You know, and I don't, I don't have any control. Nobody really in the grand scheme has any control over the kids that you get. You know, it's like you get the kids you get. Oh, I do. I have and, all control. Andrew knows he has all control too. So at the end, it's even higher than that. It's even higher than that. Because, so I want you to, I want you to, th- right, I'm you looking know. at it from, I'm looking at it from a completely spiritual angle. You don't have any I control over this. And so obviously this child is in my classroom for a reason. And one of the things that, you know, it's like I, this child deserves to have the best education that's coming to them. And if I am not doing a deep dive and believe me, this has not been comfortable. Uh, it's like, it's not comfortable for you to sit in, 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 analyze what you have done to perpetuate racism. Like it's not comfortable, but you have to have that dive you have to have that dig and if you can you come out the end the other end of it going you know what yeah i did racist things and you know what i'm better at handling all of this now you know but it was like when i had i we had racism on the other side (laughs) it's a well but you know that's that's an important thing to recognize that it's it's hugely important, and the thing is Absolutely. that just because just because you have experienced racism does not mean you will not perpetuate it, mm. and that's a, that's a huge thing for I think for people to try and make well, sense of. All white people, all white people have been racist at some point, myself included. I, I can't yeah. tell you the moment or day and time that I said something, but I do remember a very racist joke that I would tell the white people, and I was like, I don't know, that's it's not even it's not even funny, but people would laugh. So we've all done racist things. Like we all have, but you can't, you can't live in that space anymore. Like I think we're in a place now and I know it's a tool and Gerard are ready to jump in on this one, but we totally went off topic. But if you guys want to jump in on anything, I mean, we can bring it back to. Well, no, I think, I, I think black folks, black folks too, not knowing because we're in the system that we're in, we perpetuate the system, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you think, Oh, you know, I'll, I'll, all black kids, all black boys, you know, they, they can't learn. So I'm going to be harder on you because, you know, that's just what it is. And if I'm not harder on you, the white people, right? So we we have to also do some, some deep dive into ourselves and how much the system has brainwashed us and how we feel about ourselves. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of self-hate. And if 
you're bringing that self-hate into the classroom, it's going to manifest itself in the relationship you have with your students. But you can step back and say, you know what? There is some self-hate. I can't believe I thought this of my students. You start to think about your students differently. You start to think about your relationship with students differently. And you start to think about comments that people say about your students differently. And you're able to be a better advocate for your, for your students because people are making those comments and you can stick up for them. Uh, because it's it's very necessary nowadays because, you know, after all this dies down, a lot of these white educators are going to feel like they can go back and make those stupid comments. And we got to be ready for it, too, as educators to say, nope, not today, not in my presence. Yep. Remember back when you did this? Hold them accountable for what they said today. Later. I, yes. I, I, I tell you one thing. I pledge to myself because I've done this. Just basically because I consider myself always to be a team player, but my me going in meetings where I know it's an upset black parent and me being the the one in the meeting, just them knowing that I'm there, calming them down, or or me taking upon uh-huh. myself to help defuse the situation. Like yep. a lot of a lot of that's gonna be minimal with, with me uh-huh. and a lot of other black educators. Like, nah, that's y'all got to y'all got to learn to get through this yourselves. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Yep. You calling me to the meeting? Nope, I'm busy. I gotta go. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never told you the story. Yeah, I can't even tell the story online. I'll tell you the story post game, post game live. I will tell you this story because I have a story from this year that is exactly that. And I got called. I'll give you the, the general details. I got called on the carpet by a black mom, and I had no other response than to say, "You're right. I'm sorry. I will deal with it." And I will talk to you once I have. I'll call you back. Thank you, ma'am. And we, we hung up mutually, very respecting each other. Like, it was no big deal. But she laid it out on me. And I was like, okay, you're right. I messed that one up. I messed that one up. And it wasn't intentional. You guys know my intentions. But she laid me out. And I was like, all right, we're good. We'll talk about that post game. But Look, I, I'm, I'm so glad I talked to educators from all over the place. So that way, can't nobody think it's my building. Um, or, or ones, or ones I talk, or ones I work with, but I had a white, um, a white uh, teacher, and she was talking to me. And that was in Maryland, I, right? When you worked in Maryland? <laughs> no, this was no, this was actually um, this this was actually online, and she oh, was okay. saying, yeah, and she was saying how now that all this came to light, she sees how even in her respective role, how she has had biases because she would have a black parent that might will go over top her head and go to district office. And she, and you know, she end up being upset. It's like, um, you know, the parent being extra, da da. but a white parent goes over top their head and she's thinking, Oh, well, it's just a, you know, a parent that's advocating for their child. And she mm-hmm. says, she, she says she made a connection. Like, wow. Like kind of like you dug, like, wow, was that, a, mm-hmm. was that a racist move on my part? Like I was able to have a good conversation with the lady. Mm-hmm. It's like, but that's but that's what it takes though and you know it's mm-hmm. like it's you have like and you have to and i spend a lot more time now thinking through like you know it, it's what what am i doing and you know and thankfully i have had i have had great students who have helped me to figure out what i need to do in my classroom in order, in order to make that space equitable because 
I, I mean, you know, and, and it's good. I've had a relationship with kids where I can have that conversation, but if you're not willing to start really digging in and looking at yourself as an educator and wondering if you are providing the most equitable space that you can, if, you, if you're not out. willing to do that, it, it, then you start looking at, you know, uh, when people start questioning the number of referrals that you write. And when people start questioning, why is it that all the referrals that you write are students of color? And, you know, you take that very person and you're like, but that kid deserved it. And then in the back of, you know, it's like later on when you get, when you start to really think on that, you're like, yeah, you know what? I did, I, I, I did this. Like this was me. And you, you, ha- you have to find, you have to come to a place where you can own that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, where I mean, Gerard or Tatuli, you want to say something? Because I have a story, but go ahead. No, I was just saying, you know, you have to own it, but also realize that there's going to be pushback. When the pushback comes, it's not going to be, it's 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 not it's it's not going to be, you know, nice and gentle. It's going to be a push, and you're going to feel it. And yes. you know, you can't you can't now say, you know, have have you know, be fragile and just know that something happened and then grow from it. And hopefully you didn't, you didn't burn bridges because, you know, especially with black parents, there's already distrust with the system. Now I was talking to someone, I was talking to someone a few weeks ago, black parents have inherent distrust with the system, especially the school Mm -hmm. system. And Mm -hmm. if you validate that distrust, they're not going to trust you anymore, especially if you're a white teacher. And it's going to be a long, you get one chance, right? Yeah. And if you, if you screw it up, that's it. Cause you just validated everything that I thought about you, and now you just validated. I'm not giving you a second chance. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's a great, great point to tool. Um, I'll say as the person that hears the feedback from that one chance, there are some black parents that will give a second chance once they talk to a person in charge who they trust. And I don't know if I have a white advantage there or a black advantage. I don't know if it was a, if I was a black administrator, it might be different. I don't know, but I've 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 had that scenario exactly we talk about. And sometimes I don't get a second chance, or the family there's not a second chance, and I have to just do whatever I have to do to make it right, right? Because the kids are still going to come to my school. But um, yeah, sometimes you get that second chance, so. I don't know. But that's why that's why I think you need those black administrators like Gerard in the building or black teachers in the building because like I can like if I'm a parent, now that I'm a parent, my kids, you know, he, he's he's about to start kindergarten. If I know this black administrator, if something's jumping off and I know and I know Gerard is 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 down and he's cool, I'm going to Gerard's office and be like, yo, Gerard, what's going on, bro? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and him and I can have that frank conversation, and then I know I, I know he has my back and I'm gonna listen to what he has to say. And then he can tell me, yeah, the principal, you know, we, we he, 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 he's well-meaning. Yeah. Let's find a way to make this better. And now that's how I could, that, that's a bridge for me to say, okay, Gerard is there. So I know it's going to be good. Because if Gerard's not there and the white administrator is, is wilding out and there's no one else in the building who looks like me, oh, it's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem, not, I'm not, and I'm not coming back. So somebody has to be the bridge, and not saying that's Ger- Gerard's job to you know calm down all the black teachers, but like Gerard is the face to help me navigate what the craziness yeah, of the school, and Gerard can help me. That's why it's so important that you if you if you've got to have those black administrators yep. at your school, you got to have those black teachers at your school 
and they have to have a voice in the school because they're your credibility. They're the ones who are going to be able that I'm going to look at as a parent to say, okay, you know, this school's legit. That Doug knows what he's talking about because he hired this, you know, very competent black administrator or the district was smart enough to put Gerard in at the principal. So I know the district kind of got it right on this one. So maybe I can listen to what they have to say. If y'all keep getting it wrong and keep putting Mm -hmm. the wrong white people in places of power, man, for what? I'm leaving. Yup. You're preaching. Because Tatul is right, because I'll, I'll even go a step further. Um, Tatul, you've been a dean and an admin. M- a majority of the time, if there is a black administrator in the building, I will give you 90 to 95, 96% of the time, most problems parents will keep in the building. That Most that's a high percentage. Most black parents, when a black administrator is in the building, will not escalate things above the building level. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But then you have to have a good, you have to have a good administrator. You gotta have somebody who understands the parents, who have who's vested. The kids know he's vested. Because if you have a black administrator who doesn't really care about the parents, not really vet, invested, that makes it worse. And y'all, you just put a token black dude there to make me happy. And it blows it up. And the crazy somebody who's who's competent, like I know Gerard is competent because we have conversations. So I know if Gerard is the principal at the school, the principal does something something stupid. I'm calling Gerard, like, yo, what's up with your boy? And Gerard and I can talk about him. Okay, I'll be at your office in the morning. We'll work, we'll make it happen. It happened all the time, man. As as a a man, Tatul is preaching today because he is 100% (laughs) correct. Good. I only had one complaint this year, and it wasn't a race issue. It was something totally different. So, I'm, it's a, well, yeah, but, but if you're but if you're but if you're cool, Doug, and you get it, and I bring complaints, well, you get it. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. But if you're like the 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 toke the, the standard white administrator that we educators that we 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 come in contact with, and they don't get it. Yeah. And I'm coming to your school, and you don't see yeah. the problem that my black boy keeps getting in trouble, and you don't I, get that there's a problem at your school. Oh, yeah. I said this. I said this in the previous podcast. But for real, for real, the number one strategy for any administrator that's definitely the principal or the voice of the school, whether an AP or whatever, the number one strategy for anyone, especially a white administrator, is anytime you have a new registration come in, it doesn't matter what is going on in the building, it doesn't matter what time of the summer it is, it doesn't matter what it is, you greet that first time registration. Now, during COVID, we're doing things online, which is going to really mess up my system, but my secretary was tasked with, if someone comes in new to register... At any given moment or time, you radio me, you call me, you text me. If I'm not in the building because it's summer, I want to talk to this person. So put them on the phone, do whatever you got to do. Welcome to my school. Welcome to this. Hashtag CD Dolphins. Here's our YouTube. Here's my business card. Call me on my cell phone. Whatever it is, like this is what I'm going to do for you. And I guarantee you, white, black, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. They all appreciate that first contact being from the principal. Mm-hmm. And I like to tell them the principal sometimes in my face-to-face. I'm like, hey, welcome to the school. Like, yep. Let's talk. Let's chit-chat. What is your kid all about? How old is your kid? What is you doing? Blah, blah, blah. They have, they have an IEP. How can we accommodate them? Blah, blah, blah. And then, by the way, hashtag CD Dolphins. Check it out on YouTube because we have like 300,000 videos about what we do in the school. And your kid's going to be so into it before they even get here. And that message right there. Being mm-hmm. as a white administrator, you don't need to do anything else. Like that's the only thing you actually need to do. 
I mean, you have to have some content to say if you're going to have YouTube videos or whatever, but that's you gotta it. Get that right. You got to get that right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what's, what's interesting. And I'm thinking, I was thinking about this as you were talking, Doug, um, when I, as a classroom teacher, when I shifted, um, my perspective on teaching kids to first off, make it, make it more student centered. But the other piece of that is understanding that I am one piece in a puzzle because this child's family and the education they get outside of school is equally, if not more important than the education they get while they're in school. And so I, I looked at this as, and I've had conversations with parents before and I say to them, you know, I am in this with you. You know, I am in this with you to educate your child. And so whatever your child's needs are, that's what we're going to do. And so when I shifted that perspective and I shifted it to work more with families, I have, I don't have issues with parent communication. I don't have issues with, you know, parents feeling that like the need that they have to go to an administrator before they talk to me, Right. you know, and, and, but it, it came to me have putting myself in as a piece of the puzzle in this child's life and not the most important puzzle in this child's life. Um, it, and that changed a lot of it. But I know for a lot of teachers, especially white teachers, they want to they want to center themselves in that child's life. Right. And that's when it, I start now I can look back and go, that's where I see it becoming incredibly problematic. And so, cool. Can we bring it back to you real quick? Because so we talked about relationships. So how maybe do relationships relate to your idea around educational entrepreneurship? I mean, is there something else that you want to add to that? Like, because I know you're thinking about developing a program possibly for a school. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think the relationship is, you know, because kids have to trust you, especially black kids. And if they don't trust you, then forget about it, right? So you have to have that cachet with them. And you have to know that, that they have to know that you have their best interest in heart. And if you have their best interest in heart, the stuff that I'm going to give you is going to help you, you know, and that I'm not doing this to exploit you. I'm not doing this because, you know, I'm just getting a check. I'm doing this because this is going to help you and your future. And once you once and, and, and that's kind of piggybacking on what Dina was saying, once you form that relationship with those students, now you have that bond. Now you, you ask students to do something. They're going to do it. They're going to do it because not only are they, are they trusting you, you built the relationship but it works and they see it working and they see what the difference is going to make in their future. And that's, and that's the biggest thing, like connecting this with their future. And if they can see that connection to their future and they can see how this is going to benefit them in the future, they're going to now be more um, engaged in what you have to tell them. And you're modeling, you're modeling that behavior for them. Yeah. 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 So. Gerard, anything you want to add to that? I have one question. I know we're in 50 minutes right now. We usually end about an hour, but I got one a little bit off the off the topic question. It might elicit some jokes, but to tools, anything else you want to share about your idea around educational entrepreneurship? No, it's just in it's it's in the. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about it. I'm thinking about how to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I got some connections with the district and at the community college, so I, I don't know. I gotta I gotta figure out if now is the time. I think now is the time. So I'm just trying to like play it out of my brain. Uh, talk to the right people about it and make it happen. Yeah, I agree. Besides, besides social justice training for white teachers, I think you know educational entrepreneurship, as you 
call it for black students, it's the second most important thing. Um, and I only say second only because I think white people need to get the shit together before, not before. I, I think, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that. But all right, anybody got any last thoughts before I ask this last question? Because you guys are gonna I I don't I don't even know where we're gonna go with this question. We didn't talk about it pregame either, so I apologize for the suddenness of it. Go for it, Doug. <laughs> this could be uncomfortable. <laughs> All right. So here's my question. So I had a conversation with a group of black people the other day. Um, and I just, as we're talking, you know, they were having like side conversations while I was talking to them. Right. And it, it, it was a short conversation. Right. And, all of a sudden, I realized something. Like, there's some inside jokes that I'm not aware of that are going on here in my presence, which is totally cool, and I wasn't even offended by it. But I was like, "All right, what's going on here?" So I just casually asked, and it was a group of, of a very, very small group, right? And the question was, you know, black people talk about white people behind their back, right? Like that happens all the time, and the group absolutely they laugh their ass. Absolutely. My, 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 my wife and I have run in jokes. I took fake offense, but I was like, go ahead. And you, know what? You, know what's even, you know what's even better? We all had the same jokes. I bet if if Gerard told, told me about his inside jokes with his wife, I would yeah. crack up because me and Carly had the same conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> You know what's funny though? I don't even know. <laughs> it's so funny. When you realize things like that, you also realize, you know what? How similar are we? Because we're, you know, I mean, we're, I mean, it's not petty. It's real. It's for real, for real. But you also realize, like, you know what? Not that white people talk about black people behind their back. I know certain people do. I'm not saying my wife have ever had, but we do wonder things like, what does black people time mean, right? Like, because black people always like stereotypes, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even, know, I don't even get it because I, my wife's like, all my black friends show up on time, and I'm like, yeah, people I know that are black, they show up on time too. So, what is, why don't even understand that stereotype? <laughs> yeah, that's at work, that's at work. Have a social function, have a social, social function, function. Where, where time <laughs> doesn't matter, you know. Time, hey, y'all just come by the house at five o'clock, your black friends will be the last people to show. Guaranteed. That's the truth, guaranteed. <laughs> And just follow Black Twitter. Just follow Black Twitter when something happens. Like I'll, I'll tell you next time. Like there was just something about uh, Karen. Did, did you guys? Did you guys? Uh, did, did you follow that on you guys? Karen with, uh, with the store in the store. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is this? Tell us about this. Uh, Doug, you haven't seen this video. Karen in the store. The, in, in the convenience store. No. Convenience store Karen. Yeah, you didn't see this. <laughs> No, no, no. Hey, Doug, I'm, I'm, si- I'm sending the link to our Voxer chat right now. <laughs> so, so someone catch me up on this and tell me how this relates. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? This, 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 um, are you What's going on? I'm going to check it out right now. But go ahead. Yeah, so I, I was just saying how, um, how there are these cultural things that happen that every black person, like, we're, we're on and we start talking about it. And then when we get together, it's like, ah, oh, if it's about white people, it's even funnier. It's great. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. 
All right, I'm watching the video now, but <laughs> all right. So I see the lady in the dress. Is she demanding something? I have it on low. Basically, she ain't minding her business. Um, <laughs> all right, she's just jumping in. So, what country you're from? I don't even know. So, so, so in in black circles, or, or oh, she's very angry. She's being recorded. She's going to be at TCH. So, 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 what do you all do? Do you sit there and just like watch this video and then, like, like Monday morning quarterback it? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> okay, this <laughs> is the whitest question you've had all. The whole time we've been doing this, this is the whitest question <laughs> that you've asked. <laughs> like, like, like. All right, let, hey, Tutu, we're going to go here with him. Okay, like like the, the lady with the dog in the New, in the New York part, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, like, like that and then stuff like what I just sent you. When when this is on the news, like if you're if a black family, if a black husband and wife is sitting there um, and that comes on the news, it's kind of like that unspoken thing where you look at each other and go, here they go again. Right, like yeah. not, not, not minding their business. <laughs> and then we and, and, and then and this also my wife. My wife is better at this than I am. She'll come across it, she'll show it to me, and we'll both crack up laughing. <laughs> crack up laughing. And then you talk you know, to your boy yeah. and you're like, did you see that? And then we'll share it and we'll crack up laughing. <laughs> you know what's funny though, for real, for real, and I'm not even kidding, because my mom listens to this podcast and Dina Gerard can vouch for that. My mom who gives us great feedback. My mom said to me about two weeks ago, she said, you know, I was at the store the other day. The first time, like one of the third times she went out, like two weeks ago. She's like, I was at the store. I finally went out there. You know what? Those older white ladies, man, they're just so pushy. They just went past me and I'm just trying to wait my turn. I'm like, mom, you're old white lady. She goes, I know, but I'm not like that. And I'm like, all right, great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're on the journey and path to anti-racist behavior, but I mean, you're not quite there yet. But uh, but I'm going to give you credit for recognizing some older Karens. You know, I'm going to give you some credit for that. Like, it's just like, like, and then like simple stuff, like, um, like, let's say if I'm leaving a store and um, the buzzer goes off where somebody that was in the same aisle as us might have been shoplifting or whatever. If like one of my kids turn around, the first thing out of me and my wife, mind your business, whereas... There may be some white people in the building that just like jump all in it. Oh my God, yes, I was in the same aisle as them. Like, like nah, let the store handle that. Mind your business. Oh, jeez. White people don't jump in. Like, to in my line. Like, that's the first thing we'll look at our kid because you know your kid will give you that look. And you're like, mind your business. Don't got nothing to do with us. <laughs> mm. But white people ain't like that. White people are like, did you just offend somebody? Call the manager. <laughs> Who can we call an authority to get in here and make the situation correct? Oh my gosh! Like, uh, there you go, there you go, Doug. That's that's what it is. <laughs> Sometimes at the end of our podcast, we get a little off center. <laughs> this was good though. It was good. Sometimes we get let it out. Oh, right. Karen, Karen Gone Wild. That's it. That's what Karen it is. Gone wild. <laughs> Karen Gone Wild. Karen Gone oh Wild. God. Just go on Twitter and do Karen Gone Wild. And <laughs> no, just, just do the search. Karen Gone Wild. And you'll see all these different stories of Karens just like losing their minds. <laughs> so, I mean, 
Right, there's no Karen's worse than Amy Cooper right now, right? She's number one Karen. She's got to be. Yeah, Ooh. it's uh, d- d- uh, the woman in the d- walking her dog. Oh yeah, 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 yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I think it. it is- Why am I so out of touch? <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. She- Sorry, I'm trying to catch up with you all. Yeah, it's no, I, I, I mean, it's, you know, this, this most recent, uh, video of, you know, what I keep referring to is, uh, you know, comedian store Karen, um, it's, she's probably move, she's probably moving closer to the top of that, but, um, it's just, it's, which is really interesting because I've, I've read a lot of Flannery O'Connor and there's actually a Flannery O'Connor short story where, um, somebody who is racist gets very violently attacked by somebody else because they just get tired of hearing her. Um, and that's actually when I saw that, that's kind of what that reminded me of. Um, and it's like, you know, part, part of me is like, you know, Dina, you really shouldn't condone the violence, but the other part of me is going, you know, she really deserved that. Yeah. You know, you don't go, you don't go into mm-hmm. a place and put your hands on somebody and expect them not to defend themselves. Mind and your you know, mind your business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, I, like, I, right. I, like I'll never forget. I got to tell this story because it was funny. <laughs> on a, on, Doug, this was on a Saturday night. Me and, me and my wife were in a store. Um, and the guy was in the same section as us, like looking at coats. And he's like grabbing. Um, he's like grabbed like three coats. And I'm like, and they were nice coats. So me and my wife just walking around the store. And all of a sudden we hear this. Beep. Guy just straight walked out of the store with like um with like the three coats, the buzz and everything going off. The black people in the store like kind of look, it was like kind of like none of our business, but a lot of white people that was near the door, like they're like all out the door, like trying to follow the guy where the black people in the store kind of like, nah, that's what lost prevention for. This ain't none of my business. Yeah, right. But it was like an, it was like he, he was blatant, like just yeah. walk straight up. But that, that was funny because that was like black it's people like, what we're talking about, but it, it, I mean that's a even that idea is a little bit disheartening, right? I mean, I know we're going up on an hour right now, but mm-hmm. the idea that black people have to put their head down and say, it ain't none of my business, when white people are doing the exact opposite and worse, like asking for a manager or calling the police when there's some nonsense going on, like like that's that's the dynamic and the nuance when I talk to people that I know and I'm not calling anyone out. So anyway, person's listening, I'm not talking about you, but it's that nuance. Well, you know, yes, I I condone George Floyd dying from the police with his neck with his knee his neck. I'm like, okay, well. Yeah, that's horrible. I get it. And it's the wrong thing that's ever happened. But there's been a lot of black people killed by police. There's a lot of black people killed by white people in the history of the world. Let's talk about what you just said. Like, let's mm-hmm. talk about those nuanced things that, like, when I talk to my boys, like, you know, you're getting a look at. And then you're getting pushed. Like, I, I've... Oh, I no, I, out there, I, but I know people that have been, like, physically abused and nothing's been reported. <laughs> I'm oh, no. that, but it's multiple. I'm going I'm to tell you like what, like the scenarios I'm talking about, like historically, like a good black Samaritan could be like, oh, tell the store manager and the cops show up. Oh, I seen the whole thing. This is what happened. Blah. And he's le- a legitimate witness. And then some kind of way he's turning into, well, 
um, since you saw so much, were you actually a lookout so he could get away with it? Like, were you accomplice? Really? Yeah, like there has been in times in history where there has been a legitimate black witness to something and they involve themselves and then they get looked at as they were involved. So sometimes in the black community, it's like, like, I'm going to mind my business. Yeah. Makes sense. Y'all. There are several um, really great essays that I've read um, over my years of teaching where, where it has been that exact thing, you know, um, and this is, this is going to be more of what to tell what you and Gerard can, can speak to than I can, but there's always the debate of, you know, do I, do I be the good Samaritan? Do I help? Because, what would be the repercussion for me being a good person? You know, and that's, and that's something that's very interesting because when, whenever I do these stories, you know, or these essays with students, that's one of the things that comes up. It's like, you know, you want to be a good person and get in and help, but then what's going to happen to me if I jump in and do this, you know, it's, and putting yourself out there and that, that's gotta be a, a difficult dilemma. But once you do it once, as a white person, it becomes so much easier every time afterwards. Wow. I'm just saying, like, mm. I remember the first time, first time I put myself out there against a black person. I was a very young kid. It was in on 2nd Street in Wilmington. My dad lived there, and we were at a park, or 3rd Street, one of the streets. It was definitely not 4th Street. But anyway... And my brother has Down syndrome, and I remember black kids walking up to him and giving him a hard time. And then there were some black kids that were cool to him, but it was mostly black kids and me and my brother. And we we're just like literally across the street from my dad's apartment. But um, I just remember, like, you got to find allies. Even there, like, even amongst that community, because, you know, the kids just picked up my brother. It was because they were black. It's just because my brother looked weird because he had Down syndrome, you know? So I guess to your point, like, I think you learn quickly how to judge people. Um, of all races and colors, and I realized right away that there's good black people, there's bad black people, there's black people that I don't want to talk to, there's black people that I love dearly, just like my white people that I don't like. I don't like you, it's not because you're black, it's because I don't like you, you know what I mean? Like, and I can, in my heart, believe it, you know, but I think most white people haven't had those sort of situations, and therefore they either need to love all black people or hate all black people. You know what I mean? You can't differentiate between the relationship you have with a person and the fact that their skin color is different than yours. I think that's for me where I kind of settled on where I'm at, but I don't know. Go ahead to tool. I know you I'm going to jump in there for a second. Well, no, I think, um, I think uh, finding the allyship, but you know, at the same time, you're not going to like everybody, but you still have to treat people with, the same type of respect. And if you have that underlying racism, then, you know, it's going to be hard for you to t- treat everyone the same because you're going to come into a situation, see the big black, you know, the big black parent coming in and all of a sudden your brain, you know, switches and you have all these defense mechanisms and, you know, damsel in distress, whatever the case may be. But yo, just all about relationships, getting to know people. You know, the kid walking down the street who has his pants down, you know, half sagging, you know, have the relationship enough to talk to him and say, yo, bro, pick your pants up. Good looking. Keep pushing. I I like your boxers. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Hey, 
we get, and, and, that'll, and, and, and that'll make them super uncomfortable. And they'll be like, oh, oh yeah, let me pick these up. Yeah. <laughs> Why got Confederate flag boxers? Like, what? He pulls his pants up real quick. <laughs> nah, that's not even funny. But all right, Gerard, you got anything for us? Oh, no. Nah, this has been awesome. Yeah, it's been good. Tatula, you got anything for us? Just to end yeah, this, awesome, um, man. leave us out with your educational entrepreneurship. Um, yeah, ahead, you know, um, I'm, oh, I actually, well, I don't know when this is going to air, uh, but I'm doing a couple of things. Like, I got a, a webinar that I'm going to do around um, thinking about reopening schools and what that means for educators. Is, we can air this tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, that's so. It's um, we haven't set the date yet, but it's gonna it's gonna be. Look out for it on Twitter. It's gonna be. Uh, we're thinking the week of June twenty third. I'll get you the date, uh, specific date, but but check it out on on Twitter. Um, and you know that, and then hopefully we can start to get this financial literacy to our students, so we can really meet them where they're at and allow them to start to think about their their wealth in a new way. Yeah. And when you, um, Tatul, when you, um, you know, kind of push that out there, if you could tag the three of us, um, that would be awesome because we'll, we could definitely retweet for you. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you so much. And between the three of us, we have the entire state of Delaware on lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Oh, it's well. Well, and I'm just going to put out there. I don't know that that's the case anymore because uh, to tool, uh, I had said to I had said to to Doug and Gerard last week. I said, you know, it's interesting, but um, I have lost probably over the last I don't know, like 15 days, about 25 followers because I have been very open with my disapproval of what you know of what's been happening, and the more that I um, retweet anti-racist, um, you know, uh, work or comments or what have you, I start losing followers. So I don't know that I, have, I don't know that I have anything on lockdown right now and I don't oh, care. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've started deleting some people like just some, not, how can I put it? Not anything against the black lives matter movement. It's just some other posts of, Mainly on Facebook. I've seen, I'm like, oh, it's not what you're saying. It's what you're not saying. Uh, let me, you know what? Let me just go on and not let me go on to delete you now before you really post something to make me go in on you. Cause we, yeah. we might have known each other for a while, Yeah. but nah. And it's yeah. been a couple people. Well, and, and Gerard's, Gerard's response to me was, I said, you know, I've, I'm losing followers because I am, you know, my goal is to be anti-racist and I'm losing followers. And Gerard's response was, welcome to the family. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Go ahead, Tatula, you say something. Welcome to the family. No, no, welcome to the family. That's what's happening. I, I, I have it. I have to start to reevaluate, like, podcasts that I go to. You know, people that I talk to, you know, things of that nature, because people are they 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 they're really showing themselves right now. Mm. Yep. And you just can't be rocking with everybody anymore. But that's okay. good, right? <laughs> showing yourself right now is actually good, right? <laughs> right? I mean, you know where you stand, and you know where you divide, and you know where you fall, and you know where you conquer, whatever. I mean, the words are that oh, America, right? I mean, you just I, I, know that. Yeah. I, I just I just want I just want people to know that um mainly 
mainly white people that I know very well and um, some that I've been connected with on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, everything ain't gravy right now. So like everything is going to be on a microscope. Sometimes it's not what you saying. It's what you're not saying that that's speaking a lot, speaking a lot. And it's like, nah, like, nah, I see where this is going. Everything, man. Everyone's side eye right now. Like I, yeah. I was like this when Trump got elected. Like, oh, did you vote for Trump? But now it's even like more microscopic. Right. Everybody yep. is, 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 hey, make sure you're on the ball. Let's see where, where are you at now? Are you, what side of the fence are you? You on our side or you on the other side? <laughs> you on the other side? I ain't messing with you. It's cool. Yep. I don't even know. I don't even know. You guys are crazy. All right. <laughs> I don't know why I talk to any of y'all. All right. Let's end this so everybody just be quiet for a second. <laughs> in a minute. Coming from 15 years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? And, like, you know, what, and especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people. Connect with more people whose mindset and goals. All right, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.